Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 257 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and of course, the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right here, right now. Thank you so much for joining in. By the way, make sure that you're subscribed to the Ring Digital YouTube channel. Make sure you click those notification bells. And I hear some of you out there saying, Mike, I'm subscribed. Shut up. You remind me every week. Yeah, I do. You know why? Because YouTube loves to play with that algorithm and they love to unsubscribe people. You know that because I get messages from you guys every week saying, what the hell happened? Why am I unsubscribed? It ain't me. It ain't us blocking you or unsubscribing you. It's YouTube playing the silly games they play. All right. So make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure that you're clicking that notification bell. So you know the instant that we go live. And for those of you who haven't checked it out yet, the latest issue of The Ring Magazine has the fight of the century between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier on the cover. Awesome artwork there. And um, today just so happens to be the 50-year anniversary to the day of that fight, of that historic, historic, epic fight that, of course, Joe Frazier won. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. Joe Frazier does not get enough love, man, does not get enough love. I truly think that that accomplishment beating Ali, you know, there's a lot of people in the media. Uh, people were split on that fight. It was this big cultural thing. And it was, you know, right versus left and all this kind of stuff, which, you know, everything in this country has to turn into that nonsense. But uh, when Frazier won, a lot of people in media, I think, did him dirty and just made a bunch of excuses for, for why he won and why Ali lost this, that, the other. I thought it was a significant accomplishment. I think that Joe Frazier just does not get enough respect and enough love. He was truly an all-time great. Uh, as always, guys, I remind you, make sure you're subscribed, all that good stuff. But the audio podcast, I forgot to mention this before. That is my fault. Uh, the audio version of this show will now go out the day after the video version. Okay. So with the updated software I have and everything, that's just the way it's going to work. You're going to get the live show on Monday, which you're getting right now. And then on Tuesday, the audio version of the show, the audio podcast will be distributed on podcast platforms throughout the world under the Montero unboxing name. Okay. So, so anywhere that you're subscribed to me uh, on audio podcast platforms, there's 10 zillion of them. I can't even name half of them. If you're subscribed to me, you'll get it Tuesday, depending on what part of the world you are. It might be Wednesday morning, but that's the way it's going to work. You're basically going to get the audio podcast 24 hours after the video. So make sure that you're leaving reviews, ratings, make sure that you're subscribed to the pod. Okay. That helps me out tremendously. Some of you guys are really good about leaving ratings and reviews. Some of you guys that are new to the show. Haven't done it yet. Remember, I pulled the trending analysis reports. I see the thousands of you clicking and downloading and doing all that stuff and not leaving a damn review. Please, you're listening to me yap for an hour every week. Take, I don't know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it is, and just give me a quick review, a quick rating. It helps so much, and it means so much to me. All right, guys. So, um, all right, now that we got all that out of the way, I want to show you guys something. Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles, who's right there in the chat, Sent me this awesome mug. Check this out. Hold on. Maybe I get this right. Ah, oh, there it is. All right, it's out of focus. Now it's it's somewhat out of focus here on this uh, camera. But check that out. Captain Hook Chronicles sent me this awesome mug that I'm drinking my nice hot water here. I did my road work earlier, so my throat's a little sore. You know how that goes. Ah, nice hot water. Keeps me going, right? Um, he also sent me a pretty badass T-shirt, which I can't wear right now because it's in the laundry. My wife is cleaning it because I wore it this weekend. So uh, I will wear that on a future show. But thank you so much, Captain Hook Chronicles. And, and guys, uh, my French language uh, listeners and viewers and my Canadian listeners and viewers, if you're not subscribed to Captain Hook Chronicles, you're missing out. He does a fantastic show. I've been on there before. I'll be on there again soon. Once things uh, slow down a bit, which, by the way, things are getting crazy. The boxing schedule is heating up again at the club level. Remember, guys, it always starts with the club shows and then it builds up from there. So I'm super excited because there's several club shows that uh, people have reached out to me to be a part of uh, here on the East Coast from Atlanta as, as far south as Atlanta, as far north as Philadelphia over the next month and a half. My schedule is literally booked through the end of April already. So that got, I'm, I'm excited. And 
I'm going to Dallas. Me and my wife are going to Dallas this week. Uh, my man, Jim Boone of KO Tickets, who was on the show last week, here's his ad on the back of Ring Magazine. Um, that was a fun interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that. But uh, he kept his word. He, he um, As a wedding gift, uh, he hooked me and my wife up with tickets to go to the show this Saturday in Dallas as fans. Not going to be working. None of that. Although I will be working Friday night. Okay, I lied. I picked up a little bit of work Friday night. But the night of the fight, I'm not working. We're going there as fans. I don't know what it's going to look like there because uh, you guys heard the news that Texas completely opened up, right? No more mask mandate, anything like that. You can wear a mask. It's not like it's illegal to wear one, but you are now no longer required to wear one. I think as of this Wednesday, so I don't know how that's going to affect the fight card. My guess is that Matchroom, who's putting on that card, they already had to go through so many protocols with the COVID stuff to, just to set up that show. They're probably going to follow through with that. So I would imagine we'll be wearing masks and all that good stuff uh, Saturday night to see uh, Estrada and Chocolatito, their, their rematch. But um, we'll be there as fans. So come say hi if you're down there. Let's have a drink. Let's talk some boxing. It's okay. We can take a picture. If you want me to put a mask on and take a picture and talk a little bit, cool. All right. But if, if you're not afraid, uh, we could get within six feet of each other and, and talk about boxing. I think that's going to be so much fun. Tiffany and I, my wife and I, have not gone to a fight uh, as fans in probably five or six years. You know, I promised her a long time ago that we would go to one fight card a year as fans. And I did not keep that promise. It took me about a year or two, ah, shit, probably a year to, to break that promise. Well, baby, okay, we're, we're going back. Now, now we're going to go as fans, and it's the best matchup of the year on paper so far. Of course, we'll talk all about that later in the show. Uh, let me jump over here to comments. we got a few of you guys already on the chat. Uh, Tiffany's on there. Oh, man. Tiffany says, it's going to look like me getting I'm, – what are you saying, baby? It's going to look like me getting drunk. I have no idea. I think you have a typo there, babe. Hilarious. Anyway, uh, Israel Kano Jr. on the chat says, subscribe. Thank you so much, Israel. Appreciate that. And uh, John Uden on the chat says, in reality, Joe Frazier's story of where he came from to what he did was movie level as much as any fighter. Absolutely, John. And um, again, I, I think Joe Frazier should be seen as an American sports hero. He truly was a self-made man. And what he was able to accomplish in the time that he accomplished it, nothing short of amazing. I know that word's overused in sports a lot. But again, it, it's a kind of a media thing. And, and Ali became the media darling because of his political stance and everything. That's kind of a lockstep with most of the media. And Frazier kind of wasn't that guy. And so because of that, he got overshadowed and I think disrespected. And um, he just doesn't get enough love, man just does not get enough love. But um, perhaps one day somebody in Hollywood will step up and make a movie uh, highlighting Joe Frazier's life, beginning, middle, end, not just the boxing. Boxing will be like the backdrop of it, but they'll do a movie about him, the human being. And I think that could really resonate with people, man. All right, let's get into some quick news and notes. So then I'm going to have a little rant here. I got a bunch of notes written down, not just my printed notes. Check out the back, guys. I, so like, you know you're going to get a rant today when I got printed notes and written notes, okay? You're going to get it, all right? But uh, real quick uh, news, uh, PBC's schedule is dead. Now, I know this isn't necessarily hard-hitting news, but it's worth mentioning because, you know, you go to the PBC site, and this isn't the first time I've reported this on this show. It, it, there was at least once or twice in years past where I reported this same exact sentence. You could go back and find those episodes after this weekend, there is nothing scheduled on PBC's website. Nothing. They are the premier fight promoter of American fighters, right? Because, yes, you've got top rank. Yes, you've got Golden Boy Promotions, but they promote a lot of international fighters. When it comes to representing the most American fighters, that is PBC. So as PBC goes, a lot of you, you can honestly say that is how American boxing goes. And right now, their fighters ain't doing shit. Now, I'm not beating up on PBC unfairly because you guys know that I've gone after the other promoters when they were in similar situations here. But when you've got these young stars that you're, you're trying to build up, number one, you're doing it the wrong way by putting them in all these pay-per-views. You're, you're minimizing the eyes that see them. 
But then they're completely inactive, man. P- things are opening back up. Businesses are, are getting back, uh, you know, opening up like where you can go inside to, to these businesses, not just sit outside. Oh, can I get a hoagie? Yeah, let me sit outside. It's fucking snowing outside. I can eat a hoagie. Now you could actually go inside and eat the damn hoagie. You got to get your fighters active, man. Get them in the ring. So there is no fight scheduled. The only fight card that we know for sure is coming up is, of course, the heavyweight flab fest between Andy Ruiz, who's turning into an Instagram model. Although I got to say his his legs and that uh, photo that got posted this weekend look pretty damn good. I'm all man, completely heterosexual, but Andy's legs look pretty damn good in that photo. Uh, Andy Ruiz versus Chris Ariola, a pay-per-view card nobody freaking wants. That's the only thing coming up. And that's not even officially on a schedule yet, but we know it's coming up. That's pretty bad. When the premier major American promoter of American fighters, they represent, what, 200 American, mostly American fighters, has nothing on the schedule. Not a good look. And this is not the first time we've seen this over at PBC. They have got to be more consistent in the way they put out content. And they've got to put out more quality content on regular network TV, regular, uh, even, well, I won't say regular cable because it's premium cable, but at least non-pay-per-view premium cable. That's just, that's not a good look, man. All right, also, upcoming fight between Devin Haney and Jorge Linares. This is not officially official yet, but it's pretty much agreed to in principle. Should happen May 15. Uh, The venue is still uh, TBA. So, look, on the surface, I like this fight for Haney because it is a minor step up. Now, three, four years ago, this would have been a major step up. Even a year or two ago, this would have been a big step up for Haney. At this stage, I don't know if I go quite that far, but it is a step up. It is the best opponent he is fa- he's going to face to date. So I like the fight. All right. Um, so when I look at this, though, okay, Jorge Linares has been stopped five times. Five times he's been stopped. At the same time, uh, Devin Haney is 13 years younger. 13 years younger, fighting a guy who's been stopped five times. Tiafimo Lopez last year, of course, of course, beat Vasily Lomachenko. You're not going to top that. We know that, right? You're not going to top that with this. Um, Tank Davis beat an, an old, bloated, overweight Leo Santa Cruz, but he stopped him, and he had never been stopped, right? Uh Ryan Garcia beat Luke Campbell, who, yeah, probably a little over the hill. He had been beat a couple times in some long, tough fights, but he had never been stopped, and he stopped him. He got dropped, but he stopped him, right? So Tank Davis and, and, and Ryan Garcia stopped opponents who had never been stopped. If you are Devin Haney, you're going up against the guy that's been stopped five times at different weight classes by, by smaller guys. I mean, Lomachenko's a featherweight, blown-up featherweight, and knocked him out, and he doesn't knock people out. So, and yes, it was a body shot. There wasn't a head shot. But still, if you are Devin Haney, you have to not only win this fight big, you have to knock Jorge Linares out. And you have to do it by the latest, the fifth or sixth round. If this goes into the second half of the fight, even if he does get a stoppage like a TKO 10 or something, it's not going to be a good look. I don't want to put too many, um, uh, too much pressure on Haney to perform here. But he's getting seven-figure paydays now because he has a piece of the WBC lightweight title, and he's making huge demands on Twitter. He's comparing himself to all-time greats. It's him doing all the shit-talking and trash-talking. So I'm not trying to put unrealistic demands on him. You got a minor step up here in Jorge Linares. You better stop him in five or six rounds or less, or it's not going to be a good look, okay? So now I want to transition into something that is a sensitive subject. I want to talk about Clarissa Shields, and I want to talk about women's boxing. Now, this is something that has become a polarizing subject because everything, everything in boxing, everything on Twitter, boxing Twitter, has to be sensitive and has to be polarizing, us versus them, you know, up, down, left, right. You can only be one way or the other. You can't have any nuance or or be varied and layered in your opinion. Well, I'm just going to give it to you guys straight, okay? So you, you all know that Clarissa fought in a, a pay-per-view last weekend. That was an independent pay-per-view streamed on Fight TV. A bunch of you guys bought this pay-per-view out there, or a bunch of you streamed it, and you talked about the the lackluster quality of the broadcast and things like that. I'm not really going to talk about that because, to be quite honest, I didn't watch it. Uh, it. Not because I have anything against Clarissa Shields or because of the the symbolism of this event, which, by the way, 
I think a little bit of false advertising. They were advertising like it was the first female uh, to, to lead a, a head of pay-per-view card. That's not true. There have been female uh, females on pay-per-view in the past, and it wasn't an all-female pay-per-view. There were two fights that were men. There were men uh, male boxing. So I, I, the marketing, yeah, is the little spin to it. Okay, none of that bothered me. I don't really give a damn, and there's nothing against Clarissa Shields. But the matchup was trash, and that's not Clarissa's fault. She can only fight the opponents that are available to her. She fights in very, very weak weight classes. That's not her fault. But to put this on pay-per-view and to charge $30, this was just not worth that that, that fee. So I didn't watch, okay? I don't want to talk about the broadcast quality and how many buys it did or didn't do. That just doesn't interest me. What I want to talk about here is the – the polarized nature uh, that surrounds Clarissa Shields. And we live in an era where you're just, some people feel you are not allowed to speak on a particular subject unless demographically you are tied to that subject. So to talk about women's boxing, you have to be a woman. To talk about heavyweight boxing, you have to be a heavyweight. To talk about, you know, Andy Ruiz and Chris Ariola fighting, you have to be a fat guy. I don't believe in that shit because I look at people as equals. And where I come from, if I respect you, that means I can compliment you and I can criticize you just as much. When somebody with objectivity and logic and reason and facts criticizes you, that is them showing you respect as an equal. That's the way I see it. So when I criticize a female fighter, that's not me being sexist. That's not me dissing women's boxing. That's me talking about that fighter the same way I would talk about a male fighter. Those of you who watch the show, listen to the show, you know that I criticize men's boxing every freaking week on this show, all right? And all of a sudden, I'm not allowed to criticize women's boxing or a female fighter? That's ridiculous. I don't see females as being beneath me. I see them as my intellectual equals, which means I can criticize them at the equal rate that I criticize men, right? That's the way I go into this. And I understand the blue checkmark people on Twitter, the little woke people, right? They're, it's usually the same dude. It's some sawed off little prick yeah, with, with a corny little mustache and the, the stupid glasses and all that. That dude, he doesn't think that way. And that dude pretty much runs media and academia and all that and big tech. I get it. But outside of that bubble, the, re- the other 90% of us do not feel that way. So I'm going to talk to the majority of people out there, not the little sensitive little bitches who like to get offended about everything. Let's talk about this shit for real. Let's break down Clarissa Shields' career because she is marketed as the quote, right? The greatest woman of all time, which I think is a bit of a stretch. Now, in terms of hardware, she's got the hardware. So she's in the discussion and you can make an argument for her because she has that hardware two Olympic gold medals, and now as a professional, she has won 12 world titles, right? And just this last weekend, she uh, consolidated the titles at junior middleweight and won the ring magazine title at junior middleweight, her second ring magazine title. She won one at 160 as well. So I'm including those titles, obviously, in the total title count. So you're talking 12 world titles for Clarissa Shields, but I've talked about this in the past. I don't think people quite understand this. And the people that are spinning the, the narrative over there in pushing certain agendas, they're not being honest about this. Of these 12 world titles, eight of them, eight, okay, that's two-thirds, were vacant when she won those titles. In other words, only four of her 12 titles was she fighting somebody that had was an established world title holder, okay? The other eight times the title was vacant. Here's another statistic I haven't hit on before. No one's talked about this. Five of these 12 world titles were basically created for her, meaning she was the first recipient of the world title. It had never existed before her, okay? So that means there's zero lineage. So five of the 12 world titles she's won, zero lineage. Eight of the world titles she's won, very little to no lineage, okay? You follow me here, guys? Only about half, again, only about half of the titles had some sort of lineage. Now, let's talk about that lineage, and I'm going to be specific here. 168 pounds. And by the way, don't take my word for it. Look her up on BoxRec, and when you see her resume, click on the title. It'll pull up everyone who's ever held that world title, and you could scroll down and see how long the lineage is, and you'll see exactly 
what I'm talking about. At 168 pounds, Clarissa held a WBC and IBF. The WBC was the first sanctioning organization to get involved in women's boxing, period. Do you know when it got involved? In 2005, okay? So women's boxing, the lineage as being uh, recognized by the WBC, doesn't even go back 20 years. It goes back about 15 years, all right? So I think it was at the end of 2005 into 2006, the WBC got involved. And they created a title in 2005 for Layla Ali. So basically, she was kind of like Clarissa before Clarissa, right? They created that title for her. And there's been a lineage since 2005 that Clarissa claimed when she won that WBC 168 title. The IBF 168 title was created for her in 2017. Okay, so when, when Clarissa won the, 20, uh, the IBF 168 title in 2017, it had never existed before. She was the inaugural title holder there, created for her. When she moves down to 160, uh, the WBC title she won was created in 2006, right? That's going to be a common theme. The, the BC goes back the furthest. The BA that she won goes back to 2011. The WBO title that she won was created in 2010 for Christina Hammer, which she won off Hammer. The IBF title at 160 was created in 2018 for Clarissa Shields. The Ring Magazine Championship that she won at 160 was created in 2019 when Shields fought Hammer, all right? 154 pounds where she now reigns supreme. The WBC title goes back to 2006. The WBO title to 2010. The IBF title actually goes back a little further there to 2011. And the WBA title was created this year for Clarissa Shields. The Ring Magazine title was created for Clarissa Shields this weekend when she fought Dakari. So breaking all that down, all right? Again, you guys see the lineage. Why does this matter? Why do I mention this? Because Clarissa Shields and her sycophants on social media constantly compare her. She constantly compares herself to men, to male boxers. And even last week, there was an interviewer. She said she would beat 98% of the men in the world. This isn't something one of her fans said. This isn't like with the Deontay Wilder thing, where most of the crazy shit is coming from his fans. This is coming straight from Clarissa's mouth. She said she would beat 98% of men out there. All right. That's insane, guys. That's an asinine statement. It's divisive. It's indefensible. And I'm not saying this to be sexist or put down women. I'm saying this because hashtag biology. All right. Forget biology for a second. Go back to the lineage I just talked about. These titles that the men have go back sometimes uh, of a century. They go, they go back with Rig Magazine. We've been around for a century. Right. And these other sanctioning organizations, I think the IBF came around maybe in the 80s, the WBO and the IBF in the 80s, the BC and the BA were around way, way before that. So you are part of a lineage that goes back. And of course, boxing's lineage with the original, I think, eight weight classes that goes back centuries. So you are part of this established lineage. Let's take it further, though. All right. This is something I've talked about before, but I want to reiterate it. it the three divisions that Clarissa Shields has competed in. Uh, 168, 160, and 154. There is a total right now. Again, don't take my word for it. Go out on BoxRock and look for yourself. There are 98 licensed women that compete in the three divisions Shields has fought in around the world. That's total. That's not a one division. That's total. Not even 100 in the three divisions that she competes in. By comparison with men, there are over 4,400 in the same three divisions. So she is the best of 98 if you're the best fighter, which Canelo is right now, between 154 and 168, he is the best of 4,400. Clarissa is the best of 100, not even 100. And she's comparing herself to the men and saying she should be getting paid what Canelo Alvarez gets paid. Do you not see the ridiculousness of this sort of statements? And it's not just her saying it. It's other people that support her and defend her in media. And I understand some of the people that work for her, the PR people, I get it. But they need to soften some of this messaging because there are a few guys like me out there who are willing to tell the truth. You can only call me sexist or whatever so many times, but facts speak for themselves. These are not opinions I'm giving. These are This is facts and data. This shit is an opinion. I haven't given any, any analysis of what I think about all this. I'm just giving you the facts. Now, there are a lot of people that were upset when Ring Magazine rated Katie Taylor number one pound for pound uh, with women boxing. Uh, over Clarissa Shields at number two. But sticking with the scenario I just talked about, guys, uh, now, Katie Taylor has only won five world titles. She has all the titles at lightweight. She's only fought in one division, right? 
And two of those five titles were created for her. They're, they were, I should say they were vacant. They were vacant titles. The Ring Magazine was the one that was created for her. She was the first lightweight women's champion we've ever had, okay? So the ratio for her is smaller than Shields, but there was some vacant and some new titles for her. However, when I look back at the lineage there, it's pretty similar, but one division, the one division she fights in, 135 pounds. There are 150 women in that division. So the one division that Katie Taylor is the queen of, she is the undisputed champion of lightweight. There are 150 fighters around the world. That is 150% of the three divisions that Clarissa Shields is the queen of. Do you not see the comparison? Further, she has defeated two women that are currently on Ring Magazine's top 10 women's boxing pound-for-pound list, Delphine Pursoon and uh, Jessica McCaskill. She's defeated both of them. Clarissa Shields hasn't defeated anybody that's anywhere near the women's pound-for-pound list. So there should be no debate. Katie Taylor is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world uh, in the women's boxing, not Clarissa Shields. Clarissa has won more titles, and some of you guys get fooled by the titles. Man, the WBA has 16,000 champions per division. Stop being fooled by the damn titles. It's smoke and mirrors. Look beyond that. Look at who these people are fighting. Who are the the fighters fighting? That's what matters. And when you look at that, Katie Taylor is the pound-for-pound number one female fighter in the world. It shouldn't be a debate. It's not about national origin or or, uh, racial group or any of that. It It has nothing to do with that. It simply has to do with who's accomplished more. And when it comes to comparing women's boxing to men's boxing, There's no comparison. The talent pool in men's boxing is an ocean of talent. In women's boxing, it's a puddle of talent. I'm not even going to say a pond. When you go at 147 and below, fine. I'll give you a pond, okay? But above 147, it's a puddle of talent. There is one elite-level fighter in women's boxing north of welterweight. From 154 to heavyweight there's one elite level fighter that's clarissa shields that is a puddle that talent pool compared to an ocean of talent over in men's boxing so why do i bring all this stuff up oh and i should mention when she won the gold medal in 2012 that was the first time women fought in the olympics there were very few rated fighters that she had to go against look up the opposition guys it's on wikipedia just look up uh, uh, boxing in the 2012 Olympics, and you'll see the tournament. They will list everything right there for you on Wiki, and you can see who she fought. I, most of, I don't even think any of those girls have fought pro, maybe one or two of them, but none of them have accomplished anything in the pro ranks, okay? The opposition level was very, very low, and I'm not saying this to bash her. She is a pioneer, okay? And that's what I'm trying to get to here. If I were advising Clarissa Shields, if I were advising her, I would say stop with the divisiveness. Stop fighting with everybody on Twitter. Stop blocking everybody who criticizes you or your opponents or your fights or your personality. Stop defending family members who beat the shit out of elderly men at weigh-ins or sucker punch fighters in the ring after a fight. Not only do you not condone that behavior, you defend these family members. Stop that shit. Stop with all the divisive us versus them bullshit. It ain't working. It would work. If you knocked people out and were exciting in the ring, but you don't have that style, you're never going to. You started at 68, you moved down two weight divisions in hopes that you would knock out these smaller girls. It ain't working. You're not doing it. Stop calling out lightweights like Katie Taylor, okay? Nobody wants to see a girl who started at 68 and a girl who started at 35 fight each other. It's fucking asinine. Instead, build up your own brand. Build up women's boxing. Stop beefing with all your opponents and all the other female fighters in your divisions and start building a a legitimate rivalry. Start building up their careers. Invest in other fighters' careers in your division so that you can create future rivalries, future opponents. Build storylines. How about this? How about you become the, the pioneer of women's boxing in the heavier weight classes for the big girls? Because you are going to inspire other girls your size to get into boxing. There's going to be more uh, female fighters that are 160 to 175 pounds coming in the next uh, 10 to 20 years. You are a pioneer in that sense. Embrace that. Make that your image. You've cleaned out 54 and 60. Move back up to 68, where you only won two titles, 
Clean that out. Yes, they're all going to be created for you. All those titles will be created for you. Win them too. Hell, move up to 75. The, 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 the top-rated fighter at 175, you already beat her. Uh, Franchon Cruz, you already beat her. Go up to 75, beat her again. And then uh, the, the girl in Mexico, uh, Alejandra Jimenez, um, who, who, you know, make sure you get VADA testing and you'll beat her too. Clean out the titles at 75 so that you can say you held every title from 54 to 75. In decades from now, when there's actually talent in those divisions, your name will be the creation of the lineage that those women carry. That is something. That's something to build off of. That's inspiring. But this nonsense, this us versus them shit, I can beat 98% of men. The champion right now at 154 is Charlo. Does anybody think Clarissa Shields could be competitive with Jamal uh, Jamel Charlo? Does anybody think that? That's absolutely ridiculous. She wouldn't beat anybody in the top 20 at 154. That's not me hating on her skills or anything like that. I'm going back to hashtag biology. We're told now in this era that we're supposed to listen to science, right? Wear your mask. Hey, you over there, uh, you know, jogging in the park by yourself. You know, that chipmunk might breathe on you. Wear a mask, okay, because of the science. But at the same time, we're supposed to just turn a blind eye when a 50-year-old dude decides he wants to play women's basketball in college. That's happening right now. I'm the best defender on the team. No shit. You're twice the size of the fucking team. You know, your nuts could box out the other team's center. So we're supposed to ignore science in certain situations, and we're supposed to go with it in other situations. In boxing, it is hard to knock people out. I think people have a misconception. You're dealing with a fraction of a second when you throw a punch, okay? And you're throwing it at somebody that is trained to defend themselves against punches. It takes a lot of power. You have to set it up, right? But it takes a lot of power, explosiveness, athleticism to knock somebody out, particularly somebody who's at your skill level. But it also takes upper body strength. In MMA, where women get stoppages, it's because you don't necessarily need that explosiveness, that twitch to get knockouts and stoppages over there. You can do arm bars. You can get girls on the ground and submit them that way. There's a million ways you can uh, win over in that sport. In boxing, if you want to knock someone out, you got to connect and it's got to hurt. And that's that's hard to do for women. Uh, some of the best female boxers in the world don't do it regularly, okay? And in the case of Clarissa Shields, she's fighting women that are a tier or two below her in terms of athleticism. She could be probably is the most athletic female fighter in the world right now. I don't think that would be a controversial statement, me saying that. She's certainly in the discussion, okay? but the lack of upper body strength, the lack of explosiveness, she's not getting knockouts against girls that are naturally smaller than her and nowhere near as skilled or athletic as her. What does that tell you? So if you're not going to knock people out and be exciting, then you at least have to know how to market yourself and have a good personality. And this ain't it. And when you have mismatches like this and you put them on pay-per-view on top of all the nasty messaging and the beefing and the bullying on Twitter and everything else, Dude, it's just a bad combination. All right, rant over on that. I'm going to drink some uh, water out of my uh, Captain Hook Chronicles cup here and reset. Whew. Oh, man, that was a good rant. <laughs> Mandela in the chat says, uh, Montero about to be canceled come next week. I know, man, I'm going to get in trouble, especially for that basketball comment. But, I mean, come on. Why can't I just tell the damn truth about that shit? I mean, why, you know... Good for you, dude. If, if your dream as, as a man is to convert and be a woman and dunk over chicks half your age or half your size and half your age, good for you. That's your dream. I get it. But at least let me talk about it truthfully. You know, uh, super chat pledge from I think this is a troll. It says fan and international boxing channel. Uh, MOB, thank you so much for the super chat, my man. I appreciate that. <clears throat> if that really is fan and hey man call into the show sometime i'd love to hear some of your takes on uh on my takes that would be fun okay so yeah so now that um i just got myself banned i might not even be allowed to go to the fight uh saturday once people hear all this shit let's continue let's continue with the show uh okay let's get to the review captain chronicle says uh montero is on fire today i appreciate it andrew smith says uh fan and the unbiased goat I'm just going to leave that one alone. I'm just going to leave that one alone, my friends. Uh, let's jump to this 
Review. Brandon Adams scores the minor upset special. It's not a huge upset, but Sergei Bohacek was favored here to beat him in Puerto Rico last Thursday, March 4th on NBC Sports Network. Uh, of course, I covered this event for ringtv.com. I posted my recap up there where you guys can still check it out. And uh, look, man, uh, Adams started well in this fight, but uh, Bohacek kind of found his rhythm and started kind of marching downhill. And uh, I think it was the third round where Adams was deducted a point for low blows. Some people on uh, Twitter were saying, oh, that, that was bullshit. That was ticky-tack. No, it wasn't. Like, like he, he for real was punching Bohacek low. I was totally cool with the point deduction. And it did briefly change the, uh, the momentum of the fight afterwards because um, some of the things he was doing, he just couldn't get away with it. He knew that the ref was, was looking. Okay. And I don't think it was favoritism. It was a Puerto Rican referee. It was a Ukrainian guy and an American guy with a Puerto Rican referee. So I've seen some, you know, uh, tweets and stuff saying this was favoritism. No, Adams, Adams was going low. Okay. He had to make adjustments. He had to find a different gear. He had to go to a plan B and really a plan C. And guess what? He did that. He showed levels. He showed real determination and real levels and experience. This guy's been in there with some of the best fighters, right? He's been in there with Charlo. Did he win that fight? No. But the experience he gained from that, he was on the contender. You know, being on a show like that, this, it's kind of not as high profile as it was during its first season, but it's still a high profile thing. He learned from those experiences. And he took all that into this fight with Bohacek, who um, does – what he does pretty well, but it's only one speed. Bohochuk just doesn't have the adjustments. He doesn't have the levels. And I know that Manny Robles has been working with him on that, but everything's kind of one speed. He comes in one speed, one angle, one trajectory over and over. He's so solid. He does it so well. He's a strong guy. And he had Adams backing up and was winning the fight big on my scorecard, on the official scorecards, most people score cards, but then, you know, if you keep beating a, a slab of granite over and over and over, eventually you're going to put a little crack in it. And once you get a tiny little microscopic crack in it, every time you pound it after that, that crack gets bigger and bigger and bigger until finally, boom, it breaks. And that's what we saw in this fight. TKO eight win for Brandon Adams. He now is going to be set up to get into another big fight at some point. Uh, later this year, and he deserved it. He earned it in this fight. For Bohacek, I just don't know where he goes, man. I think he's going to learn from this. I think he's going to get better. Maybe now he cerebrally, cerebrally <laughs> will absorb some of the things Ro Robles is trying to teach him, and, and he, has thing, he has footage he can watch now against a higher-level fighter that he wasn't just able to mow down and he's going to have to learn how to have levels to his game, different speeds, different pitches, right? He, he can't just be a, a baseball pitcher throwing a fastball every time, throwing the same fastball with the same angle, the same tempo. He's going to have to learn to mix it up. Maybe he could do that. Maybe not. I still think he has potential as a prospect. We shall see. But that was it last week, guys. That was uh, pretty much a dead week. That was a dead schedule. But uh, things are back to normal this weekend. We have an awesome, awesome weekend of boxing. Let's talk really quickly about PBC on Showtime from Connecticut. Uh, Samson Boxing and TGB Promotions putting on a show. Uh, this is Saturday night, March 13th, and it is the return of David Benavidez. Former, uh, let's see, super middleweight title holder twice, twice lost his uh, fight or lost his title outside the ring, right? So, Will he ever get it together 100%? We shall see. 23 and 0, 20 knockouts going up against Ronald Ellis, who is 18, 1 and 2 with 12 knockouts. A pretty experienced fighter who's been in there with some good guys. Uh, you know, come up short when he steps up and will come up short in this fight. But this is a good, solid matchup for David Benavidez. This should be a pretty good fight, man. Benavidez, here's the biggest problem with him four fights since 2017. Right. I think he had like one fight in 2018, maybe two in 2019, zero fights last year, something like that. He's only had four fights since 2017. He needs to fight four times this year. He seriously needs to get active and get get back in the ring often. And I like that he's getting a fight in here in March. 
He needs to be right back in the ring May, June timeframe. If PBC sits him on the shelf till October or some shit, and he does his typical two fights this year, I don't know what to think about him because after all the inactivity and blowing uh, the, the title twice, uh, he needs to be active in the worst way this year. So we'll see what happens. Biggest card of the weekend, of course, in Dallas, Texas. I can't wait for this one, man. Um, Matchroom Boxing, on the zone, American Airlines Center, downtown Dallas. Check this out, man. Three Ring Magazine titles are going to be on the line. Three. How often do you see three Ring Magazine championship belts on the line on the same show? This ain't pay-per-view. This ain't premium cable. If you subscribe to The Zone, if you pay your 100 bucks a year, you're getting this shit for free. This is good stuff, man. Let's start with the lady fight. So all of you that were calling me sexist a few minutes ago, back up, back up, back up. Jessica McCaskill defending her welterweight, undisputed welterweight championship, including the Ring Magazine championship, will be on the line in this fight against Cecilia Brekus. Uh, people talk about Brekus being 39 years old. I think a lot of y'all don't realize McCaskill's 36. She's up there in age two, just doesn't have the wear and tear Brekus has. But really quickly, I want to say something. I, I was ringside in Chicago for one of uh, McCaskill's title fights. I've had her on the show her and her trainer, Rick Ramos, okay? I support women's boxing when it's quality. This is a quality fight, guys. This is an important fight, a quality fight. Cecilia Brekhus is one of the most accomplished female boxers of all time. She lost her title. That fight was, what, uh, last August, August 15th, when McCaskill beat her in America. That was a close fight with disputed scorecards. I thought McCaskill edged it, but Brekhus started slowly in that fight for whatever reason, found her rhythm in the middle and late rounds and made a really late charge to almost pull that fight out. Can she start earlier in this rematch? Or has she finally gone over the hill? Is McCaskill going to be the new queen at the welterweight division? Uh, this is an important fight in a historical sense for female boxing. So this is one that I fully intend to uh, to tune in. Um, of course, I'll be ringside, but I mean, I'm going to be paying attention to this one. This isn't like, oh, this is a walkout fight. I'm going to go take a piss, get another beer. No, no. I'm going to be watching this fight intently. I've seen uh, McCaskill's several of her fights, both uh, in person, ringside, and watch them live. I've been an, an admirer of Brekhus for a long time. So these are two of the top 10 pound for pound best female fighters in the world. This is a female fight to check out, okay? Don't talk, talk, talk shit about this just because it's women fighting. That's unfair, and that is sexist. If you're not a fan of women's boxing, okay, okay. But you can't tell me these two ladies ain't skilled. They're skilled. You're probably not going to get a knockout. They don't have you know devastating one-punch knockout power, but these two ladies are skilled. So if you appreciate skills, if you appreciate science, you're going to enjoy this fight. Also, McCaskill's a brawler. Chicago fighter, man. So she's got that old school Chicago um, rust belt, lunch pail kind of style. And Brekhus is your consummate boxer, right? So you got that contrast of styles. I like this matchup. Also, we got a good title fight here uh, with the little guys. Hiroto Kaioguchi, 14-0 with nine knockouts, defending his uh, WBA and Ring Magazine title at 108, junior flyweight, Going up against Mexican Axel Aragon Vega. Uh, Kyle Gucci won the IBF title at 105, minimum weight, had two defenses, then moved up to 108, won this title in 2018. This will be his third defense, one of the better little fighters in the world. Quick note, as I noticed here today on Fight Stats over on uh, BoxRec, they listed Vegas as being four foot nine. He's taller than that, guys. Give him a few more inches. He, he's only like five foot, five foot one, but he ain't no damn four foot nine. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, four foot nine, does that qualify him as a midget? <laughs> I just, I have this, this thing about midgets. I, I, they're, they're just funny. And if any of you guys out there have a midget in your family or you're married to a midget or something or whatever, hey man, I, no offense, okay? Midgets are just funny. And, you know, I say that with love. But thinking back to Clarissa Shields being the best fighter in the world out of 98, that just reminded me, you know, that's like being the world's tallest midget. Who gives a shit? All right, main event time. 
I can't wait for this one, man. Juan Francisco Estrada, 41-3 with 28 knockouts, going up against Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, 50-2 with 41 knockouts. This is to unify the WBC and WBA Junior Bantamweight or Super Flyweight Championships, however way you, however way you want to put it. And the Ring Magazine title will be on the line here, right? The title that matters most. Now, these two fought once before in 2012 in Los Angeles. Chocolatito won that fight. It was pretty much eight rounds to four, uh, nine rounds to three. Uh, so it was a pretty clear win for Chocolatito. But that was, the, you know, no one's talked about this on all the podcasts. No one's brought up this fact. Yes, Estrada's three years younger, so he was he was still a pup in that fight. But more than that, if you look at Estrada's career, he has never fought below flyweight except one time, and it was in that fight against Gonzalez in 2012. That is the one time he drained himself below 112, and he fought at 108 in that fight. And I do think it affected him somewhat. This rematch is at 115, and I think that greatly benefits Estrada. Three years younger, a little longer, a little taller, much fresher. Never been stopped. He has been dropped multiple times in his career, but he's never been stopped. He's also sturdier at 115, certainly sturdier at 115 than he was at 108. All right. So so that is that is a tiny little nuance here, a little fact that everyone, every breakdown I've heard for this fight is overlooking. That was the one time Estrada fought below 112, and I think it affected him somewhat in that fight. So uh, Chocolatito has fought all over the world, obviously. I think he's overall faced the better opposition than Delgado. I really do. I think he has. Not by much, but he has. And uh, he has been stopped. He has taken more damage to the body. He didn't uh, always prepare in the best way, especially in a move to 115. He'd blow up in between fights. he kind of get a little puffy, right? Now he's being this smart old man who's training smarter, not harder, doing all that stuff. He kind of has had a little career resurgence since uh, being stopped by Rungvasai, brutally stopped, right? He had a couple losses there. Uh, looked rough for him, real rough patch. But when he beat uh, Yafai last year, that was a massive win. I think that kind of came down to experience. There was a little bit of... Uh, not, ex- not in terms of styles, no way, but just in terms of, I talked earlier about Brandon Adams kind of using his experience in different gears and levels to beat Serhe Bohocek, to outthink him, outsmart him, and ultimately stop him. That's kind of what Chocolatito Yofai was, you know? So so I do think Gonzalez is, is in good form. I think he's in great shape. I think he's having a great camp, and he's taking this fight 110% seriously. But do I think this is prime Chocolatito? No. Do I think this is prime Estrada? If it's not, if it's not prime, it's damn close. It's just after prime. I just think he's a lot fresher, much, much fresher. Super chat pledge from John Uden. Thank you so much. He says, I like seeing fighters from Japan come to the U.S. Hell yeah. They always bring it, man. They always bring it. And I expect the same thing here. And look, that, that this fight is in Dallas, Texas, this card. You're going to have a lot of Mexican-American fans there. They're going to be rooting for uh, Vega against Kyle Gucci. And whenever a Japanese dude's fighting, Japanese fans turn out. I, I've been to several fight cards around this country, and it could be an obscure Japanese fighter. And there will be a, a bunch of Japanese dudes with a flag and shit. So there will be Japanese people there. It's going to be awesome. You're going to have this awesome international Think about it, guys. The, the the three fights here, you've got what? Uh, Nicaragua. You've got, of course, Mexico, Japan, America, and Norway. Norway, uh, Colombian Norway, right? So, so that is an awesome international feeling there at in a state that just opened back up. I think it's going to be positive there. I can't wait. Um, I'm not going to be ringside, you know, in the media section, right? I'm going to be up in the stands with the fans. But if I can do a ringside recap uh, from there, if I could get on my phone and kind of just do like a quick live video and give you guys my thoughts, I absolutely freaking will. Absolutely will. Because I think that's going to be what I want, what I hope for, okay, is just a positive experience where you feel the love, kind of those old StubHub Center, where now it's Dignity Health, whatever the hell it's called now, fights where 
you just felt love in the air, you know? And yeah, there were some drunk assholes fighting in the crowd and you had all that shit going on, but all overall, just the love of boxing fans, seeing like a great event and people from all over the world, all walks of life, hanging out, watching the fights, not giving a shit about what part of the country or what part of the world someone's from, just enjoying the fights, man. Uh, I miss those times. And I'm hoping we get that in Dallas, Texas this weekend. Um, Sports Talk with Troy says, super spreader event. (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I will say this before I get to my prediction for the main event. There are a lot of people on Twitter and stuff that are beating the shit out of Texas right now for opening back up and beating up uh, this event. And I know people that work in fight media that are not going to travel to this event and and don't want to cover it, you know, because they're freaked out. The media has got them so freaked out. They're not even looking at the statistics, which by the way, you can, you can look it all up for yourself. The, uh, I'm not even going to, you know what? I'm not even going to go down that road. I was just going to talk about the death rate in Texas being two hundredths of a percent more than the death rate in California, the most locked down state in the country. So it's pretty negligible. None of that shit matters. Some people are just going to be frightened and scared. Cool, man. You don't have to come. You don't have to support the event. You can watch from home, right? If you do come to the event and it makes you feel better to wear a mask, put on a mask. No one's going to care. You know what I'm saying? Uh, do what you got to do to feel safe and secure. That's fine. That's that's smart and responsible. But my hope is that uh, politics doesn't play a factor here in how this event's covered. My hope is that it's just about the quality of the fights. And some of you guys will say, well, you just ranted about Clarissa Shields' pay-per-view for 30 minutes at the beginning of this show. Yeah, because the quality of the fights sucked. I don't even, I don't care about the production value and the audio. People said that that kind of stuff was poor. I I don't know because I didn't see it. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the quality of the event, okay? This is a great triple header. All three of these fights are going to be fun and and especially the main event, right? So if you're a boxing nerd, which I am, all right, proudly I own that. I'm a complete boxing nerd. This is like boxing porn for you. So leave the politics at home. If you want, put on three masks, bro. Put on a condom. You know what? Pull down your pants, put on a condom, put a couple masks on, put a mask over your asshole. Then come to the fight. If that makes you feel safe, dude, wear wear a hazmat suit. Whatever you got to do to feel safe. But don't shit on me and everybody else that's excited to go to this fight and cover this event. I'm being responsible. Me and my wife are being responsible. Uh, I have relatives who work in the medical field. I know all the statistics. I know what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. So I'm not like going to go lick flagpoles there in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be smart and responsible, but damn right. I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to go and just be around fight fans again. It's been a long fucking time, guys. I'm excited. As far as the way I see the fight going, does Chocolatito have that one last amazing performance? Does he just have Estrada's number? because he has that psychological edge about beating him pretty decisively. It was competitive, but he decisively beat him back in 2012. Man, that was almost a decade ago. That was, as I've said multiple times, that was one of the best wins of that decade, of any fighter that decade, one of the most underrated wins. It was the first time I got a look at Chocolatito. And I know he had been a champion before that and everything else, but it was the first time I got a look at him. And after that, I was like, whoa, this dude's different. What happens if Gonzalez wins? Let, let's go down that road just for a second. If Gonzalez wins, okay, he's already a first ballot Hall of Famer. He can retire tomorrow. He could get knocked out in 10 seconds in this fight, retire tomorrow, five years from now. He gets my vote, first ballot Hall of Fame. All right. And I know there's plenty of other people, including the editor of Ring Magazine, Doug Fisher, who's a huge Chocolatito guy who will be covering this event for Ring uh, there in Dallas. Um, who would vote for him first ballot as well, right? But if he wins this fight, because Estrada is on the top 10 pound for pound list right now. On most reputable platforms rate him top 10. If he beats Estrada again at 115, after what he went through with Rungvisai, okay? It, it, it adds more value, more layers to his win over Yafai last year. But then beating Estrada twice, dude, we might be having an all-time great discussion 
right? And Chocolatito is already a border time, all time great level fighter. Okay. I get that. But beating Estrada, that's putting him on a different platform. All right. He's jumping up a few notches off that win. Now for Estrada, if he wins, if he turns the tide and he says, look, man, I was a little drained. I was a little young, a little experienced against you the first time. That was a decade ago. I've grown up since then. I've got a lot more experience. I'm much stronger at 115 than you are. I got more momentum going into this fight. I've never been knocked out. You have, right? And he beats Chocolatito. He secures his Hall of Fame credentials. Done. So that's what's at stake in this matchup, guys. That's why I say it's so important. I talked about the uh, historical significance of the lady fight, which I do think is an important fight. But this, of course, is on a much, much higher level. If Estrada wins, his first ballot Hall of Fame credentials are sealed. If Chocolatito wins, he's, he's you know, we're talking all-time great. But I don't know. We, we talking top 20-something? We talking top 25? He, he's up there now if he beats Estrada, okay? And he's back on the top 10 pound for pound list. That That's rare to do that after being so devastatingly knocked out the way he was. So there's a lot at stake in this matchup, man. I cannot wait for this freaking fight. Cannot wait for this one. And the best part, again, I won't be working. I'll be working Friday night. I should have talked about that in the preview. I totally over- overlooked that one. Uh, Friday night, guys. Um Damn it, how'd I miss this? Friday night, there's a Telemundo card from Florida. There's an MTK Global card with several prospects from the UK. I think they're fighting in the Middle East on uh, ESPN Plus. And from Thailand on the zone, Suisa Ketsoa Rangvisai or Wisaksil Wangak going up against Kwantai Sithmore Seng or <laughs> Ikawit Songni. Whew. I will be covering that tie fight for ringtv.com, okay? So look for my fight recap on ringtv.com. Why am I covering that? Because it's not a high-level event, because Rungvisai is in that fight. Look, Rungvisai could face the winner of who we see Saturday night. He's been in the ring with both those guys, right, with mixed results, mixed results, but was competitive and won some of those fights in devastating fashion. So, so there are implications for these fights happening this weekend. Um, if you haven't heard of Sith Morsang, uh, he's, he's got a lot of experience. He's challenged for multiple titles, come up short, but he's an experienced guy and uh, w- will be a good challenge for Rungvisai. That should be a fun fight on uh, on the zone. So make sure you check that out. Okay. Uh, let's see here. We got a Comment from Giuseppe LaRocca. He says, uh, have you ever watched the Telemundo cards? They are pretty action-packed for being lower-level guys and prospects. Yeah, man, the Telemundo cards are fun. My boy, uh, Damon Gonzalez, uh, he's a photographer out of Florida. He works a lot of those cards. He um, heads up the NBA, National Boxing Association. He uh, works on a lot of those fights. I think he'll be there Friday. So let's see. I think uh, I think I pretty much covered everything. No calls. Interesting. I thought we'd get some calls. You know what I'm predicting? We're going to get a lot of calls next week reviewing these fights. You guys tend to call in after the fights to talk about them rather than call in before to preview them. You tune in to hear me preview the fights, and then you call the week afterward either to shit on my predictions or to uh, to give me props. So we'll see what happens next week with my predictions this week. Uh, real quick, I, I should mention this. Um, as I play my outro music here, uh, <laughs> I, I tweeted out uh, a poll this weekend. Okay, I'm going to read this uh, word for word. Okay, serious question, no trolling or politics. For those of you who bought the Shields Decar pay-per-view, do you feel you got your money's worth? The fights were complete mismatches on paper. Did they play out that way? Were you entertained? How was the quality of the broadcast, right? And it was very interesting. The way I worded that question, at the very front, I said, serious question for those of you who bought the pay-per-view, right? I put that right at the front. And I did that purposely because I wanted to thwart as much negativity as I could. I wanted to talk to people that bought it. But the very last response that I put in the poll. So my first was, it was a great value. Then it was, it wasted my money and time. I streamed it for free. And then it was, I did not watch it. That was at the very end of my responses. That got over 80% 
of the responses. So even though the, I worded it the way I did and put that, I didn't watch it at the very end of the choices, that still got over 80% of the responses. Guys, I think that says a lot. Boxing fans will turn up and pay for events and support events that are of quality and value. If you put out shit, it doesn't matter if it's men's boxing, women's boxing, American boxing, non-American boxing, heavyweights, flyweights. It doesn't matter. If you put out shit, people aren't going to watch that, right? If you put out high-quality content, people will support it. That's it, guys. All right, so I will see you in Dallas. Be safe, everyone traveling out there. If you guys want to do a meetup or something Friday night, DM me. We'll talk about it, all right? Shit's open down there, so we could be at a bar and have a drink. It, it, it just sounds so fun to even think about that. All right, guys, uh, and I'll try to do a uh, ringside recap if I can, all right? I'll see you at the fights.